All right, we're looking at Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. Let's give our attention to God's word. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we look at it further tonight. Heavenly Father, your, your word is true, and your word says that we are like the flowers of the field and the grass that withers and fade away. But your word says of itself that it will never pass away. And so we need that. We need to hear from you. So Father, would you, would you please speak and would you please work so that we will hear you? We need you to, to intervene, to break into our our hearts and open them so that we believe and our minds so that we uh, know and our eyes so that we see. Would you do it? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you've, uh, you're probably familiar with uh, the comedian Louis C.K. and his bit uh, that he did, at least on Conan, uh, at least where it got popular, I guess, where he talks about uh, his premise is basically, what does he say, that the world, everything in the world is amazing and nobody's happy. Have you seen this? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, you can YouTube it. It's funny. It's very funny, and it's brilliant. Again, his basic premise is that the world is amazing. The world has advanced in incredible, mind-blowing ways, and yet still nobody's happy. We complain all the time. He talks about how somebody might complain about a five-hour delay in their flight from New York to Los Angeles. We were delayed five hours. And he says, that, that's not a delay. It used to take 30 years to go that far. <laughs> he said it would have taken 30 years. He said a bunch of the people that were with you probably would die along the way and somebody would have a baby. He said you'd be a whole different group by the time you got there. Five hours is not a delay. But yet we complain about the five-hour delay. I thought about it like this and not trying to be you know, funny like Louis C.K., but... Just imagine if you could go back 100, 150 years ago. You could go back to that time and describe to, the, you know, to somebody that lives in that day what it takes for you to have light and heat in your house or apartment, let's say in the middle of the night. Because right? what does it take for them? They want heat, you know, you've got to chop down a tree, gather firewood, split it up, uh, bring it inside, you know, Arrange a fire, light a fire, wait for the heat to creep around, you know, process. To get light, I'm guessing, what, something like uh, you've got a lamp, you've got to pour kerosene in it, trim a wick, you know, the whole bit, light the thing, and that's just going to give you a little bit of light. So you've got to go through all that process. What, is it, what do you have to do to get light and heat in your apartment in the middle of the night? Click, click, done. That's it. That's true. So... Can't you imagine that if you could communicate that somehow to this person that lives 150 years ago, 
they would have to think something like, it must just be pure bliss to live in 2016. Like to get rid of all that that difficulty out of your life. That must be awesome. But like Louis C.K. said, the world is amazing and nobody's happy. He's actually assessed the problem very well. He's actually really good at that. And so what is the answer? If that's the problem, what's the answer? Uh, Why are we so discontent? Why is nobody happy? And is there anything that can change that? Uh, If you've been with us, you know that we've been studying through Philippians this semester, which is uh, a letter, essentially, that Paul has written to this church that he planted, this group of Christians, and he's writing it while he's sitting in prison for the sake of the gospel. And he, it's a letter that's filled with joy. Uh, He writes about the joy that he has, even in his difficult situation, and he writes about the joy that they can have that he calls them to in Christ. It's a letter filled with joy. And so our theme has been real joy in the midst of real life. And here, what I want us to see tonight is that Paul talks about that we can find real joy in contentment. That he has and we can have actual real contentment in this world, even in the midst of trying circumstances. All right, so we're going to look at this uh, pretty simply, straightforward. We've got two points tonight. First, we're going to look at the situation. What's going on? Paul's situation and, by consequence, ours. And secondly, we're going to look at the secret. Paul says he's found the secret, learned the secret of contentment. So what is it? So first, the situation. What's going on? What's he writing about? So like we just said, Paul's writing this from prison. So he's under, he's most likely in Rome. He's under house arrest. That means he's chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. He can't go and come as he pleases. It's a, you know, certainly no fun. It's unpleasant, to say the least. And he would have needed money to continue to rent the house where he's under house arrest. He would have needed money to provide for himself, just food and basic supplies and whatnot. And so he, he needs these things. And this church in Philippi that he's, he's uniquely tied to, that he has this unique love and relationship with his church, they're really concerned about their church planner, about Paul. And they want to send him money, they want to send him gifts, but they haven't been able to for some reason, and then finally they have opportunity. And so when they're finally able to, Paul eventually sends this letter back to them, and a big part of the reason he's writing them is to tell them, thank you. This is in a lot of ways a thank you letter. And he started out at the very beginning, and now he's, picking, he's really picking back up on that theme here and telling these, these folks, thank you. But he says something a little odd that you might have noticed, that even though he's deeply grateful, joyful, uh, that they've renewed their concern, they've been able to provide these gifts, in verse 11 he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And so it might sound like he's being rude, like, Hey, thanks for the gift. I really do appreciate it. I mean, I didn't need it, but thanks. And that's not what he's doing. Uh, Almost certainly what he's doing, a couple of things, is he's probably saying um, he doesn't want them to feel guilty about the fact that it took them a while to get the gift to him. He gets it. He doesn't want them to feel any guilt about that. Um, And he probably also doesn't want them to send any more because he doesn't want to be a burden to them. He knows that this church uh, seems to be, from what we can tell, a particularly poor church. And he's basically saying, look, I'm okay. 
you, you don't need to send anymore because I am content. He's content. Even though he's in prison and in this awful situation, even though he lacks so much, he says he's content. He's learned to be content whether he has a lot or whether he has almost nothing. All right, so what does that mean? That's Paul's situation. So I want you to think about yourself. Let's think about us for just a minute. Are you content? Are you satisfied? And maybe a better way to ask it would be to ask, are you discontent in some ways? Maybe you could think about it like this. If God said, I'll give you one thing, whatever you ask for, whatever you think would make you happy, what would it be? Do you have something in mind? What is it that you think would truly make you happy? That if you got it, it would finally, you would finally be satisfied. What is it? Because I think if you're honest with yourself, uh, if you're like me, which you are in this, you and I are desperate to find contentment. You and I are desperate to find satisfaction in something. And really, in a lot of ways, maybe, it seems like in almost every way, our lives really are just this ongoing search for contentment. Where can we find it? It really explains a lot of what we do. If you could just get that one thing, then it would all be better. If you could just change this, this one circumstance and have it removed or have it altered, then you'd be content. So what is it, right? If, if I could just get the new phone, that, that would make me happy. If I could get this new piece of technology, uh, if I could get, if I had a car, I'd be satisfied. Uh, if I could get school paid for, Um, If I could get that job that I want, if I could get a boyfriend or girlfriend, if I could just finally get done with school, if one day I could get married, then that would make it, that would make me happy. That's, That's what would finally do it for me. If I could just make a little bit more money, if I could get in that fraternity or that sorority, if I could finally get to that body type, if I could finally get that grade or get that new dress or whatever it is, then that's what would do it for me. I'd finally be satisfied. If I could just finally be healthy, if I could finally just feel good, if my parents cared a little more, if I had any friends, if I had better friends, then I'd be content, right? But what happens as, as you sort of follow the trail of that, of our chasing it, what, what happens? Well, it's one of two things. One, you'll keep chasing it and, and never, never quite get it. And so we just keep chasing after it, whatever it is in that list or, you know, a million other things. And I think that's the idea that Paul's kind of getting at here when he talks about the circumstance of being brought low or being hungry, right, being in need. It's that continual chasing I have this thing that I want and I can't get it and I'm after it. But did you notice that Paul talks about being content, not just in in, uh, need and hunger, but he actually talks about being content in times of abundance, abounding in plenty, he says. And so what's that all about? Because that seems odd, right? Like, if you have, if you're abounding, then it seems obvious you would be content because you have 
what you want. And I think Paul, I think it's fair to say Paul would basically say, yes, but what you'll find is that that doesn't satisfy you either. Even when you have an abundance and you get the thing that you want, it doesn't satisfy either. Because you pro- your own experience can probably bear it out, right? Uh, you know what it's like. When you finally get that thing that you've wanted, it probably doesn't take long to realize that as great as it is, it's still that same sort of gnawing in your gut of this didn't do it either. It's still there. I'm sure you uh, have experienced this. You could come to our house and see the tons of toys that we have that, what, three months ago were awesome, right, at Christmas. And now, not so much. They're just kind of filling up the bin. And you know how it goes. Some of them really may not have even made it through the afternoon on Christmas before, you're like, before the kids were, or, you know, in your own experience, like, yeah. It was fun for a little bit. But it was the thing you had to have, right? You circled it in the magazine, you told your parents about it, and, and you got it, and then it just it wears off. And it's not just a kid problem, because kids grow up into adults, Lord willing. That's what we're hoping for at our house. And it's not a kid problem, it, it's just a people problem. The problem stays the same, and things just tend to get more expensive. It it wears off. It just doesn't satisfy. Amy and I, again, to continue with the kid theme, uh, we used to talk about a little bit used to more. We still do it to some degree. It's so easy to think with your kids, right? If we could just get to the stage where, fill in the blank with our kids, then life will be so much, we'll, we'll be a lot sort of happier and more, you know, settled, right? If... If we can just get to the point where they can walk on their own, right, and I don't have to carry them around everywhere, like, oh, it'll be so much better. And you get there, and then you realize it's got its own set of problems. And there are other things to be, you know, discontinued, because now they can just, they're mobile and they get in trouble. And you think, all right, if we could just get out of diapers, you know, that would be huge. And and it is. But you get there, and then you realize there's this whole, there, there are plenty of other things to be discontent about. It just doesn't satisfy like you thought it might. You know, maybe it was once I, I mean, don't you remember how, like, the goal of life was to get your driver's license? It was enormous. It's like, I, you know, I don't know what happens if I could die for all I care if I just get my license. And then you get it, and it's awesome for a little bit, and, you know, you remember when you first got it, and your parents were like, hey, will you run an errand? Of course I'll run an errand, right? And then how many months was it when your parents were like, hey, will you run an errand? And you're like, oh, whatever. Maybe that was just me. Or you think, once I get to college, once I get to college, here you are. It's great, but it just doesn't satisfy. And so look, what I want you to see is that is that, that idea, that truth explains so much of, what we, of who we are and what we do. Right? This is the reason that uh, some of you spend hour after hour playing that video game, playing Halo or Call of Duty or whatever it is. And just one, one more game, one more game. Because that, that last one just didn't, it, it was fun, but I, I need one more. This is why some of you spend 
again, hours, looking at pornographic image or video after image and video, looking for the, the, the next one that's going to finally satisfy. Like, that, that's the one. But then it, it, it just it doesn't. So one more. It goes on and on. It's why, like we said, it's why you buy one more dress or outfit or whatever, because that last one just didn't quite do it for you. You finally get a girlfriend, and then you realize she's not as perfect as you hoped. And so maybe another one would be better. Like break up with it, not just add another one. but <laughs> Break up with one and then, you know. The same's true. same's true with everything. You're going to, look. Wives don't come better than my wife. Yeah, I, I, I mean that as much as I mean anything. And look, you're, so don't hear me say, you're going to find one day, Lord willing, if you want to and you get married, and if you set it up as the, as, as the everything, one day you're going to wake up and realize it, it's great, but it's still not, still not there. It's just, it's just not going to satisfy do you know what big-time college coaches do the day after they win their national championship? The, day, the very next day after they win the national championship, do you know what they do? They recruit high schoolers the next day. Why? Because that championship is over. It did not satisfy. And you've got to move on. It's never enough. We're all thirsty, Right? All right, so that's our situation. That's, that's us. We're thirsty. We want to we fill it up. But it just doesn't seem to satisfy. So secondly, what I want you to see is the secret. Paul says that he's learned the secret to contentment. So what is the secret that he's learned? Well, we get a little bit here uh, from the word that Paul uses that we translate as um, Content. And it's a word, actually, that he seems to have borrowed from the Greek philosophers of his day. Interestingly enough, uh, basically it translates, and we're going to explain this because it seems odd, as self-sufficient. But the idea was uh, basically that it was a Stoic doctrine, and obviously I read this, I don't naturally know this stuff. Um, It was the Stoic doctrine that, let's see, I got a quote, that said, man should be sufficient unto himself for all things, and able by the power of his own will to resist the force of circumstances. Basically, this word was the word for their highest ideal in life. Uh, It was the person that was unaffected, right? Come whatever may, they were above it all. When things were going great, when things were terrible, didn't faze them. And the reason was because they, they were okay. They were, you know, they had what they needed in and of themselves and they weren't dependent on anything, and so Paul basically latches on to that idea, and, and then at least part of it, and tweaks the rest of it. And it's that idea of being above your circumstances that he grabs hold of and he says, yes. Yes, that we can get behind. That's true. My contentment does not and cannot lie in my circumstances. He's content regardless of the situation, whether he has or he doesn't have, and that's the first thing that I want you to see. That's the beginning of the secret of contentment. Is that you will not find contentment 
in your circumstances. In the things that you have, uh, in, the, in your situation in life, for the reasons that we just rehearsed. Because those things will not satisfy. They can't. All right, and then notice in verse 13 what Paul says. You probably could recite it by heart. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And what I want you to notice is what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that Jesus will give you what you want. He doesn't say that Jesus provides him with different circumstances. He does not say that Jesus Jesus will fix what's wrong in the here and now so that he's happy. But he says Jesus gives him strength to to endure the circumstance in which he is. And that's really the main part of the secret of contentment. It's what, what you see there in verse 13. That it's not found, contentment's not found in changing circumstances. Contentment is found in a person. Paul says, the secret to contentment is Jesus. He basically says, yes, I am above my circumstances because I am totally self-sufficient because I am utterly dependent on Jesus. I, am a, I, can, I can be and I am above my circumstances. I can, I can be content in my circumstances because I am self-sufficient. And by self-sufficient, I mean completely dependent on Jesus. He knows that Jesus will infuse him with strength to bear up in whatever situation he finds himself. And so I hope that you're, you're seeing the difference of the biblical, right, the, the right understanding of this verse and not the way that we typically probably understand it. Right, you've typically probably heard, for some reason usually in the world of sports, uh, it's typically some sort of promise that Jesus, you know, if you trust Jesus... He'll let you do, um, you know, some amazing feat, right? You can accomplish any task that you face. Uh, you know, you can knock down, the, you can go to the line, the free throw line with the, with the game on the line and knock down those two winning free throws because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And that's not what this verse is about. And it's actually far more about if you missed those free throws... And you lost the game, and everybody hated you because you were the goat, and all your friends left you. Dealing with that situation, that's actually what this verse probably is is more geared toward. How do you deal with that? And so, all right, as we we wind up here, I want to take just a second and sort of focus in on what, what is this strength that Jesus provides? Because it's not just enough to say that, you know, contentment's found in a person in Jesus. Let's pray. What is the strength? What does it mean? And to get at that, I want to look at a couple other passages. Listen to Hebrews 13, 5. It says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? He says that you can be, we can be content Because God is with us. It's actually a quote from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 31.6, Joshua uh, 1.5. And those are 
those are quotes when God is telling Moses and then Joshua, who are about to face some very difficult circumstances, God looks at them and he says, you can, essentially he says, you can do this because I will be with you. That's your strength. I will be with you. 2 Timothy 4.17. Now this is Paul in his last letter as he is facing his, uh, his first trial before Caesar in his, his next imprisonment. He says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. You see, Paul is facing death. And he uses the same word, same, uh, same words as, as this passage in Philippians. And he says, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. He couples these ideas of strengthening and contentment with the idea of Jesus being with his people. And that's it. That's what I want you to see, that Jesus is at the same time the one who brings the strength, and he is the strength itself. His being with you is the strength. The secret of contentment is knowing that Jesus is with you always. It's what you and I were built, it's what we were built for. We were built to find our satisfaction in, in an ultimate sense, only in Him. But, but listen to that good news. We, there's a place where you can find your ultimate satisfaction. And it's in Him, in relationship with Him. But we, we try to go to, like we've said, any and everything else, right? It's, it's, I thought about it like, it's like eating sawdust. If you ate a whole bunch of sawdust it, it would, and you were hungry, it, it would fill you up. You would not be hungry, I, I would think. But eventually that's going to kill you because your body's not built for that. doesn't mean sawdust is bad. It's just not, you're not built for it, neither is it. And what I want you to see is that, strangely enough, it's actually in and through these difficult circumstances that we begin to find contentment because it's in those circumstances that we find that God really is with us. That's where we learn contentment. If you notice, Paul says he, this is, it's a process. He has learned contentment. Paul says that, that we can be content and grow in our contentment because they're the, in our circumstances because our circumstances are the means in which he grows us into that into our contentment, if that makes any sense. It's in difficult circumstances that God shows us that He really is with us. Because it's in those hard times that He's stripping away everything else that we like to look to. And He's showing us, He's showing us the whole time that, that Jesus really is with us. Uh, you might be familiar with a lady named Joni uh, Erickson Tata. Uh, she is a prominent Christian uh, author, speaker. Uh, she's an amazing woman. Uh, when she was 17, she dove into a lake and hit her head and became a, a quadriplegic. And she was and is a believer. And she, she talks about, right, you can read her biography and 
She talks about how terrible it is to be in that situation. To not be able to move your to move anything except your head. Not be able to feed yourself, not be able to care for yourself. And she says that she used to beg God for him to take that away. And she used to beg God, like, I'm not even asking for my legs to work. Just let my arms work. Just let my hands work. Just let me be able to feed myself. It's so humiliating to have to wear a bib as an adult, to have other people feed you. And she says she got to the point where she would cry, I've got nothing left. You've taken everything from me. But she began to realize, I've got nothing left but you. And she says that she actually learned contentment. She learned that she actually had something sweeter, even, than having the, the use of all her faculties. She actually learned contentment because she saw that, that really the only thing she had is the only thing she'll ever need, which is Jesus. She learned to find satisfaction in the fact that Jesus really, really does love her and he really is with her. But it was through something like that. And so I want you to see that God's using your circumstances. Look, he's using them for a million different reasons. And are we going to ever know, you know all the ins and outs? I don't know. But one thing I want you to see, you can at least know that look, whether you're abounding or you're lacking, whether you're, you're thriving or whether you're withering, you can know one thing, that your circumstances come from the hand of a loving Father and that He's working them to, to point you towards the fact that He loves you and is with you. He's using all those circumstances to move you towards an understanding that the only thing that can truly satisfy you is Him. And that He's with you in the midst of them. All right, let me end with this thought. How can you know that Jesus really is with you? How can you know that that He won't leave you or forsake you and that you can find contentment in Him forever? How, maybe you've been listening and thinking, that's great, but how can I know that that's something that I can have? And here's how you can know that. Here's how you can know that Jesus really is with you and that he will never leave you and he'll never turn his back on you. And the reason is because, is because he was abandoned by every one of his friends. Not just abandoned, he actually got sold out by his friends. But it wasn't just that. He wasn't just abandoned by his friends. They weren't the only ones that turned their back on him. He experienced experienced God himself, his father, that he had been in eternal fellowship with. He felt him turn his back. He He felt God abandon and forsake him on the cross. And he did it in your place. So that you never have to feel that. So that you can know for sure God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. 
even in the midst of the most awful circumstances. Because He took that out on Jesus. He's with you. And He'll provide you strength in the midst of your most trying circumstances. And that can, that can begin to bring you joy and contentment. Because He's with you. And that's the good news. And I hope you take it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you are with us. We, have only be- we can only begin to scratch the surface of that. Would you, Father, I pray that you would cause everyone in this room to lay hold of you to find their ultimate satisfaction in you. And would you give us the rest of our lifetimes to uncover what that means. And Father, we pray, even though it's a dangerous prayer, that you would, that you would teach us contentment that we might find you, no matter what else we might lose. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.